We live in an age of confusion on one side and absolute certainty on the other. And only those whose minds are quickened by God's word will be able to last after the dust is cleared. This morning I want to pray and ask for the Lord to lead in this message. Bow your heads with me. Our kind, gracious Father in heaven, we are so blessed to know that you love us so much that you fail not to call us, to warn us, to say to us, be sober, be vigilant. In this day of distractions and confusion, we are asking, Father, for your Holy Spirit to have his way. Take this message, we ask, and create in the hearts of those who are listening an urgency and an awareness of what lies ahead. But may we not lose sight of Jesus in the midst of all that is happening and swirling around us. And may by your Holy Spirit, we remain prepared. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever seen one before? One of those machines where they say to you, get in the cylinder and when we turn the fan on, grab as much money as you can. Have you ever seen one of those before? And we watch people go absolutely crazy trying to grab as much money as they can as it's swirling all around them. They are in the vortex of a wind tunnel and the money is floating all around them because the winds are blowing. Today, my brethren, we are in a spiritual wind tunnel. Every wind of doctrine is blowing around us and people are reaching out, grabbing things that they have really no control over. They're just grabbing whatever flies past them. But today, we're going to turn off the fan and point to the unmistakable, high-value truth of God's word so that we not become a people caught off guard. The mark of the beast is a topic that really says to us, we are coming head to head with the final showdown of the ages. And when we study God's word, we see that the Bible predicted that the last days will be characterized as a time of speculation and conjecture. And so many people today are almost being distracted by the speculation because they don't have anything to compare it against. The Apostle Paul told Timothy, he said, for the time will come, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, he says, for the time will come when they will not endure, what are the next two words? Sound doctrine. He is saying to Timothy, the time is going to come when sound doctrine is going to go forth, but there are going to be people that say, that's not what I want. I'm grabbing for something else. I prefer something else. They will not endure it. That means when sound doctrine tests where they stand, they won't pass the test. But when you study the Bible, you find out that speculation is a two headed monster. First, it is a news-driven, social-media-deployed, event-manipulated beast that has a tail with no end. Speculation is a two-headed monster. monster. First, it is a news-driven, social-media-deployed, event-manipulated beast that has a tail with no end. 
Secondly, it is founded on scriptural ignorance. When you don't know what the Bible teaches, I can tell you anything. And you will base your willingness to believe it on maybe something you see or something you hear or maybe your respect of me or your admiration of the person that is saying those words. God does not want us to base the validity of his word on how anybody looks. He wants us to base it on a plain, thus saith the Lord. The apostle Peter brings to our attention in second Peter chapter two and verse 17. He talks about this atmosphere of scriptural ignorance people saying things that have no foundation. He says, describing those in that activity, these are wells without water. Hmm. Clouds carried by a tempests for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. What he's saying is speculation never delivers what it advocates. Speculation says to you, if you wait long enough, speculation may become reality. But the Bible is saying, these are wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest. They are blowing in every direction, and speculation never delivers what it advocates. But to add to that, we are living in an environment where many are mentally manipulated to believe or disbelieve the media. We live in a pundit polarized society. People believe their favorite commentators and disbelieve the others. And as I thought about that, I said to my wife, I said, I wish people were just as passionate about what God's word says as they are about what their favorite politician says. You talk to somebody about the person they don't support politically and they say, that's not what he said. I wish somebody would say to somebody else, that's not what God's word says. And I'll find the video to prove it. <laughs> don't send me a video about a mortal man. Send me some scripture. I wish folk today were as driven emotionally as they are about men who in a few short breaths will be nothing but a tombstone. <laughs> can't get past, can't get past living in the past. Nowadays also many people conclude what they believe by internet searches don't believe everything on the internet. Other people believe somebody's social media posts <laughs> or an uploaded video. Everything you watch, everything you read, you better check it out by God's word. People are posting videos intending to warn us of some hidden impending medical doom that the presenter says he has specialized secret knowledge about. Have you gotten one of them? I cannot count the many videos I was sent. And each time people send me a video, you know what they say in the post? You need to watch this video. And I respond, you need to read your Bible. <laughs> they get a guy that just looks so credible. I am the... PhD, MMA, and I was in Congress and I heard the secret meeting. And the secret meeting had been seen by nobody but him. And if you, and share this video with someone else. The only video that you need to share is those established on a plane, thus saith the Lord. The problem behind all this ever increasing darkness and disappointment of speculation is this people 
are at the place in this modern world that they just don't read or believe God's word as they should. And Jesus diagnosed what's behind the heartbeat of speculation. Listen to the words of Jesus in John 3 and verse 19. He said, this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love what? Darkness rather than light. It's amazing. They love darkness. They love darkness. When I was in the club scene, I liked darkness too. The one thing we don't like is when they turn the light on because when the, when the light comes on, ex-partiers, the party's over. Can I get an amen from a former sinner? That's the last thing we want is when the light comes on, we know the party's over. My brother and my sisters, the light is already on. But there are some people that are saying, i rather have darkness. Another reason for prevailing ignorance is people don't walk in the light that was already confirmed by countless years and decades of intense prayerful research. So they go out looking for something new and fanciful. Believe me, if you want to look for something new and fanciful that appeals to the whims of your intellectual hunger, the devil has something that he would like to sell you. Strangely enough, people that I thought I could turn to I'm learning what that passage means or what that statement means when Ellen White said years ago, many bright lights will go out that you once admired for their brilliance. That's why Jesus once again warns in John chapter 12 and verse 35, these solemn words. He says, walk while you have the what? The light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. Doesn't even know it. Can't tell. Where am I going? I don't know. I'm in the dark. Just to get an idea of how uncomfortable that is, have somebody walk up to you and they say, Bob, close your eyes. Hold my hand. Don't peek. Just follow me immediately, because you know you can see, there's a discomfort that immediately overtakes you because you don't know where they're going. But the Bible exacerbates the picture because it says, not only is it, in this case, somebody who can see who's leading you, asking you to close your eyes, but the Bible says, if the blind leads the blind, they both fall into the pit. That's why we have to trust men less and trust the unquestionable word of God. Don't trust the conjecture of finite men. Trust the unquestionable, tried and true word of God. Why? Isaiah the prophet tells us in Isaiah 46, verse 9 and 10. I love the first word. What's the first word? Say it with me. Remember. Remember the former things of old. God is saying, remember what I told you before. Remember the former things of old. And then he qualifies why you should. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Why should you trust me? Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done saying, praise the Lord, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. What is God saying? He's saying, men will come and go, but my word will endure. I know how it's going to happen. I know how it's going to play out. I can see the enemy working in his shop of deception and before he manufactures his lies publicly, I already know what they are. Aren't you glad to serve a God like that? Keeps us in the light. And to remember in that passage, 
is equally as important as the command to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Remember, remember. What do people do? Forget, forget. I'd rather forget what God says and look to my special pundit to find out what he says and follow him. But the problem is, this generation cannot claim ignorance. It is choosing ignorance. But on the topic today, one of the reasons why ignorance has played such a major role in the understanding of the mark of the beast, on the platform of ignorance, the mark of the beast has metamorphosized through the decades from one belief, Eric, to another. It's taken on a, a different, depending on who you speak to, it takes on a different exterior. Let's look at some of those. You may remember years ago, if you're more than 30, maybe more than 40, when Procter & Gamble had this little symbol on the side of its ivory soap bar. Anybody remember that? And at 13 stars, people said, don't buy it. Because Procter & Gamble is probably in league with Satan worshipers. People rather stay dirty than buy a bar of Procter & Gamble soap. All because of the symbolism. They said it's related to the, a satanic system. Don't buy it. And then, if that's not ridiculous, when the 40th U.S. President, Ronald Wilson Reagan, entered into office, the, 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 the conspiracy theorists almost lost their minds. They said, have you noticed that there are six letters in each of his names? Six, six, six. And they said, President Reagan is going to usher in the mark of the beast in America. Bulletin, you can go see his memorial. Respectfully so. Not to belittle the man. But talking about the ridiculousness of conjecture and speculation. And then it went even deeper. When former President Mikhail Gorbachev came on the media scene and they saw that tattoo on his forehead, they said, aha, we found him. And evangelical preachers. I, got a, I have a book in my office, Mikhail Gorbachev on the front cover, written by an evangelical preacher who lives in the dark, says he will usher in the mark of the beast. He's no longer president. Now, I'm not sure if he's still alive or not, but... Maybe Svieta can tell us. Is he still alive, Svieta? Okay. He is not the one to usher in the mark of the beast. But once again, speculation. Speculation. That's what happens when you don't allow God's word to be your guide. But it keeps going. It keeps going. I remember when the barcode came out. Remember that? Man, don't buy anything with the barcode. If we still believe that, we won't have anything in our house. Because <laughs> everything has a barcode. Even your driver's license and all your credit cards. And they are so plentiful that they're everywhere. You can't buy anything. Even an instructional, instruction, instructional manual has a barcode in it. Nowadays, they're minimizing printing manuals. They just send you the product and they said, scan the barcode and download the manual. So we know that's not the mark of the beast. You saw people, once again, a lot of preachers had books, and on the cover they superimposed the barcode on somebody's forehead and said, that is the mark of the beast. That is going to be the etching that's going to be superimposed in invisible ink on our forehead. How do kids say it? Bah humbug. That's an old saying, by the way. Then it metamorphosized into the QR code, the quick response code. You've seen this one. It's almost on everything nowadays. Just scan it. You can get admission to tickets. You can get all kinds of information. It's a new form of another way of communicating media. People said, ah, they're really getting smart now. I have a QR code on my phone. I needed a QR code to enter into the country or the, <clears throat> the, 
the, the, the country of St. Thomas, not country of, but it's a part of America. My wife and I went to the Virgin Islands recently. Well, we had to have a QR code on our phone indicating that we cleared and we were medically clear to enter the country. That means our COVID test was negative. The island of St. Thomas. Thank you, honey. Now, let me make a point here. Will men try to create a diversion? They always have. Men have always tried to create some kind of diversion. And those who don't read God's word says, that's got to be it. Procter & Gamble, Ronald Reagan, Mikhail Gorbachev, the barcode, the QR code. And I don't have enough energy nor time to tell you what they're saying about the mask. And may the Lord have mercy on you if you dare get the vaccine. Because not long after that, your DNA is going to change. And you'll be able to be controlled by the push of a button somewhere in Washington, D.C. It does sound stupid, doesn't it? I won't even use a highfalutin word. It just sounds stupid. But that's what happens. That's what happens when you don't allow God's word to be your guide. But before I dive into the scripture reading for the morning, I want to say today, thank God that through all this speculation and all these changes, God's word remains consistent. Amen? God's word does not change. The teaching of the mark of the beast is su of such importance like French writer Luke Clapier wrote, he said, simple truth is a relief from grand speculation. Simple truth is a relief from grand speculation. What is in essence saying? Just tell me the truth. I never forgot when, I, when we moved into the church there in Northern California, into the city of Antioch, a young gentleman came to help us move in. He was the first one that showed up, and I tried to figure out whether or not he was a church member. Felkak House, good friend of ours today. And um, he was there, and I said, are you a member of the church? No, are you? No, I started, are you an elder? No, are you a deacon? No, are you a member? No. And I said, well, who are you? He said, well, I heard that you were moving in, and I want to come and help you move in. And he said, I have just one request. When you preach, could you just say it and not dance around the bush? Please. I baptized that young man and his wife and dedicated his children. And they are still in the church today. She was a hard cookie to crack being raised as a Catholic. He found some material at one of our hospitals in the Napa Valley, St. Helena Hospital, thinking that St. Helena was a Catholic saint. <laughs> That's called Adventist diversion. <laughs> Undercover. So he took all this material from that Adventist hospital, was reading it, and then he would leave it around the house. Then I had a revelation seminar. He attended the seminar. He responded to the call to be baptized. His wife says, there's no way I'm getting baptized. I'm not leaving my faith. She was raised a very staunch Catholic. But he would come home, and he would notice that he put his Bible study on his table, but it was in the living room. Or was by his nightstand, it was in the kitchen, and he didn't say a word. And then when the day came for baptism, she joined her husband in baptism. And they are still in the church today. Strong in the Lord. I love to look back, and God has given me the heart. Of, I love to look back and see people that I baptized 15, 20, 30 years ago that are still in the church. Why? Because they were established on God's word. The challenge today is a lot of people are being established on entertainment and not on God's word. Christianity is becoming a thing that we feel rather than a foundation that stands on the unchangeable word of God. So now that I laid the foundation, let's go ahead and go to the scripture reading for this morning. It's a very solemn one in Revelation chapter 14, verse 9 and 10. And I'm going to intentionally today use the King James Version for the scripture reading. And you'll find out later on why. Revelation 14, verse 9 and 10. 
We read in God's word, and the third and the third angel followed them, saying with a what kind of voice? Loud voice. If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in the forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. When you read that text, you've got to ask yourself the question, why would Satan want you to understand anything about that text? Why would the devil want you to even know what that means? Because it warns you away from following anything he has established as a diversion to the truth of God's word. So let's begin by answering the very basic question. There are five questions that I'm going to take care of over the course of Sermon 1 and Sermon 2. Today I'm going to spend a lot of time on the first question, who is the beast? Let's begin. Daniel 7, verse 23 Daniel 7, sorry, verse 3. Thank you, honey. Daniel 7, verse 3. Daniel had a vision about four beasts. God showed Daniel the progress of the four great empires of the world. And Daniel wrote, And four great beasts came up from the earth, each different from the other. Each came up from the sea. Let me read that one more time. Daniel 7, verse 3. And four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. Anytime the Bible uses the symbol sea, it has two applications. Two applications. You got to trace the pages of history to find out at a place in time where the world was facing instability and agitation because the sea is never stable. If you find a stable sea, you've got to be one inch from the shore. And there you still have the waves coming in and out. The sea is never stable. The second thing that the Bible points out, or the second application for the sea is, it is a region where population is great as the ocean is larger than the landmass, so also the sea is larger in scope and in size than just a piece of ground. So the Bible is saying in a very populated area, these four great beasts were rising on the scene. We also find in verse 17, Daniel now defines what these beasts are all about. Daniel 7, 17, it says, those great beasts, which are how many? Four are four kings, which arise out of the earth. So Daniel is saying, if you want to find out what application the Bible has given to these four nations, to these four beasts, they're coming up out of the earth. And more significant than the beasts themselves or the, or the kings themselves, the four kings, is the fact that if a beast represents a king, a king must have a what? Kingdom. Daniel continues. Daniel 7, verse 23 and 24. Before we go there, let's look at these four applications here. These are the four basic kingdoms that the Bible has unveiled. Babylon, the first great world empire. An amazing, not large in size, but powerful. It is also represented as a beast that was a lion that had eagle's wings, a very, very powerful, dominating, could not stand against it empire. But then it was subdued by the Medo-Persian empire. When Belshazzar had a night of drunken revelry, God brought the power of Babylon down. All the water around the moat of the city of Babylon dried up, and the Medo-Persian empire came and brought that kingdom to its end. 
followed then by the Grecian Empire. And you see the dates there, if you can make those out. The Grecian Empire under the leadership and rulership of Alexander the Great. And the reason why I said it's more about the kingdom than the king himself is because Alexander the Great died of alcoholism in his 30s. And then his kingdom was divided among four generals. The, the leopard with four heads and four wings. The Medo-Persian Empire was a bear with three ribs in its mouth. Why three ribs? Because when the Medo-Persian Empire rose to prominence, it brought down three powers. Babylon, the first one, Lydia, and Egypt. These are the three powers that historically stood in the way of the rise of the Medo-Persian Empire. But Daniel goes on to define very clearly what the Bible teaches about these four great kingdoms. Look at Daniel 7, verse 23. The Bible says, Thus he said, The fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth. Now, this is why we're going to focus on the fourth beast. We're not talking about Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece. We're going to spend time on Rome. Because Rome is predicted and defined as the last great world empire. Even though the United States exists, Rome is still established as the last great world empire. In Daniel 2, Rome represents the iron, the kingdom that's powerful, that, that crushes everything in its path. And even in the toes of the image, it's iron and clay all the way till the very end. You take the time and read Daniel 2 for yourself. But the Bible says, talking about the fourth beast, thus he said, the fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom where? On earth. But look what it goes on to say. Which shall be different from all the other kingdoms and shall devour how much of the earth? The whole earth, trample it and break it in pieces. What a powerful power. What a ruthless power. But verse 24 magnifies it even further. The ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom. Those are the nations of antiquity that have modern names today, and I'll talk about them at another time because the focus is not the ten kingdoms. The focus is the beast. But the Bible, Bible goes on to say, the ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom. And... What does it says? Another shall rise after them. He shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue what? Three kings. When Rome rose to prominence, there were three nations that, three nations that resisted its political rise. The Vandals, the Heruli, and the Ostrogoths. So when Rome rose to prominence, the reason why it talks about another one that shall arise after them out of these horns that will be different when it transitioned from pagan to papal Rome it subdued every power that resisted its religious and political uh, coalescing the Ostrogoths the Vandals the Heruli these Aryan powers resisted Rome's position and as religion and politics began to merge together they stood in opposition, but how can you stand against an iron kingdom that crushes everything in its path? You cannot. And so we see the transition very carefully. From 168 B.C. to 476 A.D., this pagan political power reigned. 168 years before the birth of Christ, Rome was in place. And when you read the New Testament, you'll find unequivocally that the entire New Testament is written under the earthly reign of the power of Rome. It was during the power of Rome, the reign of, of, of the, the, the leaders in Rome, that an edict was given to take the life of Christ. We find Pilate's judgment hall, a Roman governor. And all throughout the New Testament, from, from Matthew all the way down to Revelation, John, the revelator, was banished in a Roman prison on the island of Patmos. Unequivocally, all through the New Testament, the power of Rome existed. But even more than that, the Bible says it will be a pagan political power 
from 168 BC to 476 AD, and then a transition to a religio-political power from 538 to 1798 AD, at which time it received a deadly wound. Are you following? Let's go on to the next passage, Daniel 7:25. What did Rome intend to do during the time of its reign? The Bible says, Daniel 7:25, he shall speak pompous or great words against who? The Most High. Shall persecute the saints of the Most High. Shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and what else? Half a time. When you apply all these identifying marks to the kingdom of Rome, you find unequivocally, let's start with the time of its reign. The Bible talks about he was given authority to continue 42 months. We'll see that passage in just a moment. But 42 months or 1260 years, the time times and half a time is the same time frame. 42 times 30, 1260. 1260 days in prophecy is 1260 years. And Rome reigned unequivocally. You apply the symbols to the definitions given in Scripture in Numbers chapter 14, verse 34, and Ezekiel 4, verse 6, and you see a day for a year principle, and you discover every aspect of the power of Rome is identified in the Bible. Yes, the Roman religious powers spoke against the Most High. How did they do that? By claiming to be God on earth, by claiming to have the prerogatives that belong to God alone to forgive sin, and today it's amazing. The Pope is saying something opposite today, almost admitting the decades, the centuries of their ignominious hindrance of the fact that the only mediator between God and man is Jesus Christ. Amen. Nowadays he's saying, oh, you can pray to God directly. Turn the light on. Not only that, for that 1,260-year period, they persecuted more than 50 million Christians, the saints of the Most High. They intended to change times and laws. They changed the Ten Commandments. They got rid of the one forbidding image worship. And they cut the Ten Commandments, the Fourth Commandment, down by simply saying, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You can still find in the Catechism the whole commandment, Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 to 11. But they later on say, we don't have any problem with the Fourth Commandment. We just think that we have the authority to change it from Sabbath to Sunday. But they intended to change it because you can change what you want on earth, but in God's eyes, it hasn't changed. It's the same. It's the same. The Bible is very, very clear. For that 42-month period, Rome dominated Europe. For 1,260 years, Rome dominated Europe. The Bible confirms that Rome is the kingdom that both the Bible and history confirm. But even more frightening than that, is that the aim of Rome was not limited, limited to the nations of antiquity. The aim of Rome is focused on devouring the whole earth and breaking the earth in pieces, not just Europe. To make it very clear, Rome's past activities and future aspirations are identical. Well, we're going to answer the question, why? Let's go to Revelation 13 now. Revelation 13. And we're going to see again the Lord bringing this picture into focus. And once again, I said, there is a part two. Because there's no way that you're going to be able to drink an eight-ounce glass of molasses in this one sermon. Let's ask the question, who is the beast of Revelation 13? John now looks back on what God gave Daniel in its components. Daniel gave us the first glimpse of Rome. Now God says to John, take it to the next level. Revelation 13, verse 1. And I want you to zero in because there's a twist coming. And unless you follow the foundation, you're going to miss it. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, together having what? Seven heads and 
ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads, let's say this very carefully, A. What's the next letter? A, blasphemous name. A means singular. Now, I want you to focus. Not only is John continuing the picture of Daniel 7 and the beast with the ten horns, but he's also giving us a glimpse of the completed representation of how Babylon will coalesce with its supporting system during the time of the end. Let me say that another way. We look back on Rome's activity during the Dark Ages, but John is saying Rome is still here because the beast with seven heads and ten horns hasn't gone anywhere. It only received a temporary wound, but the Bible says when that wound was healed, all the world marveled and wondered after the beast. And I can ask you today, does the Vatican... Does the system of the papacy have world-recognized renown? Unequivocal. Without any, without any equivocation, without any challenge, every political leader that reigns during his or her time, they acknowledge the power, both political and religious, of the system of the papacy. Undeniable. But John is saying that while Rome is presently a world-dominating religious movement, it is going to become an even more dominant present, crush everything in its past, dominate the entire world. It's large now, but when it transitions, it's going to transition, watch me now, from a system of blasphemy, I'm going to say it slowly so you grab it, from a single system that blasphemes God's truth by its teachings, it is going to eventually coalesce with all the false systems of worship that collectively, by their teachings, do the same. And let me break that down. One of the dangers of becoming familiar and saying, I know this message, and I want to tell you what happened to me this week. I started my sermon on Tuesday. I was sure. I told my wife, by Thursday, it will be done. Well, it wasn't done until about 3 o'clock this morning. Because God says, hold on. John, the problem is you know this message. And you're seeing with old eyes. But I want to show you with my eyes. And I sat back and I, I, I almost, I felt such a strong impression by the Lord to say, slow down. I, 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 it was so powerful. I came to the room and said to my wife, the Lord told me, slow down, stop, stop, stop. Because you've been seeing that passage, but you just have not been seeing that passage. You've been seeing your understanding of that passage, but I need to show you what it's showing you that you don't see yet. And I want you to keep in mind as I say again, Rome all by itself and by its own teachings, and the teachings are numerous, is a system that blasphemes the truth of God's word and the authority of God. That's unequivocal. And I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about the system. But when Rome fulfills its ancient aspirations in a modern setting, it is going to reach out to all the other systems, spiritualism, Judaism, Islam, and every other false system, Buddhism, you go down the list. And eventually, apostate Protestantism, and they're going to coalesce together with the kings of the earth, the merchants of the earth, and behind the scenes, Satan's unclean spirits are going to be going to the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them together in the Battle of Armageddon. Let me say it this way. It's a lot bigger than we even imagine. And so while we're saying to people, Rome, 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 God is saying, wake up and spin around, and you'll see that what Rome has done has been done by other false systems of religion. Judaism rejects the existence of the Messiah. 
Islam, while they recognized there was Jesus, he was just a prophet. They exalt Muhammad. And I mean no disrespect to any religion at all. And Buddhism and spiritualism, the ideology that the soul never dies, and so many other religions on the earth, and they're becoming more and more, they're, they're falling out of a glass of deception like somebody just keeps pouring more deception in it, and they're just falling out, and people are going from ridiculous to ridiculous. I couldn't find another word to more ridiculous. And the devil is having a heyday while we just focus only on Rome. But let the Bible speak. I'm going to show you Revelation 17, verse 3. Now remember, Rome is described as a blasphemous name. Say that with me. What is it described as? A, a blasphemous name. But as I said to you, the Holy Spirit has something that we often ignore. Look at Revelation chapter 17, verse 3. We see it again. And the reason why John saw it is because the Holy Spirit was leading him. We will see when we allow the Holy Spirit to lead. John 17, verse 3. So he carried me away in the Spirit into the wilderness. And what did he see? And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was, come on now, full of names of blasphemy, having what? Seven heads and ten horns. Pause. This molasses is thick. Rome goes from a blasphemous name, seven heads, ten horns, to full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Do you think it's a mistake that the Vatican is traveling to all the religious leaders around the world? Do you think it's coincidental? He's gathering them. He's gathering them. He's gathering them. The evidence is clear. Revelation 17, verse 12. He's gathering them, and the Bible says it's going to happen. Watch this. Revelation 17, verse 12. The ten horns which you saw, the ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom yet. But they receive authority for one hour as what? Kings with the beast. You getting it? Political leaders in the world, economic leaders, the evil spirits, the kings of the earth, political leaders, presidents, prime ministers, governors, whatever category they may be defined in their own country. Satan is busy gathering the world together. You'll find out in the next sermon why he's doing that and what he's aiming at and what he's seeking to accomplish. But what I want to make very, very clear, according to the prophecies of Revelation 17, it's a picture of a system of symbolic Babylon with its leader and its supporting caste. Rome is in the position of leadership but we have to go even farther than Rome to find out, wait a minute, where did this come from? Are you ready? It's important to understand the note and who's behind this first piece of Revelation chapter 13. Here it is, Revelation chapter 13, verse 2. The Bible says, now the beast which I saw was like a what? Leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear. And his mouth like the mouth of a what? Lion. But watch this. The dragon, okay, here it is. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and what else? Great authority. Does anybody know who the dragon is? Just as not to take it for granted, Revelation 12 and verse 9. So the great dragon was cast out. That serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives how much of the world? The whole world. He was cast to the what? Earth. 
and his angels were cast out, how? With him. Cast to the earth. He could not overthrow God's dominion. He could not overthrow God's kingdom. So he came to earth and established his own kingdom. He even said to Jesus, I'm going to show you all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory, and I'll give them to you if you worship me. Put that in a jar and don't forget that point. I will give you all the kingdoms if you worship me. Rome got its kingdom because Rome is the system established to be the very extension of Satan himself. So to deceive, which he does, he sets up a system to deceive, which it does. But to deceive means to lead someone to think, follow carefully, that his worship is acceptable to God. Now, th did this happen before? Let me move a little quicker now. Did this happen before? Let's look at Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 4, verse 3 to 5. Let's see if this happened before. And this is a significant paradigm in the, in the unfolding of the sermon. Genesis 4, verse 3 to 5. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of what? Fruit. Of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. <laughs> and verse 4, Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat. Right? And the Bible says, And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But it says in verse 5, But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was what? Very angry, and his countenance fell. Watch it, guys. Here it is. From that day forth, two groups of worshipers were established. Abel, he's Abel, he's Abel, and Cain. This group, Abel, those who offer God what he requires, and this group offer God what they want. But the Bible makes it very clear. You could offer it, but God ain't going to accept it. So don't get to the idea that all that matters is that we worship God. That's not what the scripture says. You worship God the way he wants and requires to be worshiped. Because you'll offer it, but he ain't going to accept it. Cain's anger led him to carry out the most hideous act. Look at Genesis 4 and verse 8. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and did what? And killed him. And I want to tell you, the anger of Cain represents the anger of those that refuse to worship God according to his requirements. If you think I'm kidding, talk to somebody that don't believe how you believe and mention the Sabbath or the commandments, or the truth about death, and you will see that anger. Amen. I've tried it for more than all of my ministry. Before I was a pastor, I tried it. I had pastors walk out on me. Some of them, one of them put me out of his church when I was 17 years old. The anger that was displayed by Cain is the same anger that proceeds when a person is determined to do what they want rather than what God wants. But here's why I mentioned that story. God took note of Cain's action and God moved to do something. Genesis 4 and verse 15. What did God do? Here it is. And the Lord set a mark. What's our title? What's our message? What's our message today? The mark of the beast. The mark of the beast is the title of the message. Genesis 4:15. And the Lord, who did it? Who did it? The Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Let me ask you the question: Was Cain walking around with a big tattoo on his forehead? But who saw it? Come on, say it. Who saw it? God did. God sees what God marks. It doesn't have to be visible to you. And I want to say this again. Men will attempt to create a diversion, 
but the mark that is being talked about here is a mark that God said on Cain, God saw it. You've heard the phrase before, he's a marked man. Have you heard that before? Oh yeah, we may have used that before. You better mark that person. And the Bible even says, mark those that cause division among you and avoid them. Do you put an X on the forehead of people that you don't like? Or a dot on their back? You see the person with the red dot on the office? Watch out for that person. No, you mark them by saying, you know what? You need to stand clear of that individual. Because they don't mean you any good. And God did that to Cain. But everything that God does, Satan always seeks to create a diversion. Every move that Satan makes, however, is linked to his original ambition. What was his original ambition? Here it is. Isaiah 14, 14. The Bible says, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. Satan said, I will be like what? I will be like the Most High. His ambition was not only to replace God, but to usurp what belongs to God alone. And to accomplish his ambition, Satan constructed a system on earth. Let's go on. Let's go on. Revelation 13, verse 4. If you miss it, just play the video back. Because sometimes you got to take it slow. But I'm working with a clock. Revelation 13, verse 4. So they worshipped who? The dragon. Who's the dragon? Satan. Speaking about Rome now. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, that is the power of Rome, and they worshipped the beast, saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Now watch this. Satan constructs the system of papal Rome, and papal Rome is so amassed and so powerful, people say when they look at it, who is able to make war with him? Can I answer the question? God is. The same one that warred against the constructor of this system, God is able to do that. God is able to do that. But why did Satan construct this system? Because he wants to accomplish. He wants to accomplish through this system what he was not able to accomplish in heaven. Let's look at it together. Revelation 13, verse 5 through 8. Revelation 13, verse 5 through 8. Hmm. And he was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Same time frame. Verse 6. And he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God. You notice? The blasphemy that Rome did, it's being reiterated again. And all the systems that joined with Rome in the very end will do the very same thing to God through their teachings. Blaspheme God of heaven. To blaspheme his name. What are they blaspheming? And I want you to grab this. They're blaspheming his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. Does the beast have a name? Yes. We're going to find out that in the next message. And it goes on. Look at the next verse. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over what? Every tribe, tongue, and nation. In verse 8, all who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Is Satan going to accomplish universal worship? According to the Bible, he is. Are God's people going to be taken in by it? According to the Bible, they won't. We'll find out next Sabbath why the devil is so angry with that woman he had fun with her in the garden. He said, you won't really die. And she says, I believe you. It took her 6,000 years, but she broke up with him. And said, I need me a man I can trust. I need me a man whose word is sure. Jesus 
said, I'm looking for a bride that I want to do so much for. I want her to be without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. I also want her message to be without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. And when God established the church on an unshakable foundation, Satan said, that's it. I'm going to establish my own, and I'm going to try my best to get the world to follow mine. But God says, I will have the last say. What do you say? So friends, the question we have to ask ourselves is how the worship will occur is an issue of chronological importance. Is there going to be a user? Is there one day going to be some kind of universal enactment that will command us to go to some local shop to receive a mark on our forehead or in our hands? <laughs> the issue is worship. The issue has always been worship. The issue, help me, Lord, is not about whether or not to wear a mask. It's not about a vaccination any more than it's about the spot on Gorbachev's forehead, Ronald Reagan's name, the barcode, the Procter & Gamble symbols, or the QR code. It is about worship. The issue is not about DNA-altering technology. You're not going to wake up one day and start speaking opposite that your husband or wife does not recognize you because some button was pressed somewhere in Washington. And it's not about a digital signature that's going to be implanted in your forehead through invisible ink to the eye. Will men attempt to create diversions? Yes. But these are fallacious ideologies. They try to connect to what the mark of the beast really is. And that's why I call it pinhole theology. They look through the pinhole of time and they think they've seen the entire room. That's why you don't trust them. You trust God because he owns the room. When you do that, people latch on to just a portion of the story and they create a narrative that ignores all the other components of what God has already revealed. That's why the teaching that you can't buy or sell unless you have a literal mark ignores the totality of the prophecy. And here it is, my last two scriptures. What is Revelation 13, 17? We're going to deal with 16 next Sabbath. But Revelation 13, 17, what does it say? And that no one may buy or sell except one who has what? The mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. It's not just the mark. It's one or the other or the other. The same result will pursue if you have one or the other or the other. The Bible reveals that any future prohibition to buy or sell occurs if you fall into one category or the other. The mark, you are allegiant to the name or you are allegiant to the number. But too often the focus is just on the mark when the focus is not, according to Scripture, just on the mark. Now let me end on this note. We know who the first piece of Revelation 13 is. We know who the last piece of Daniel 7 is. Next message, we're going to talk about what is his number, his name, his image, and his mark? How is that going to come down the pipe? But let me leave the sermon with a hook. You ready for the hook? Is it possible that both the mark of the beast in the forehead and the seal of God in the forehead are literal? Revelation 9, verse 4. You have to wait a week to get the answer. But here's the reason I asked the question. Revelation 9, verse 4. Look at what it says to us. Speaking of those that will escape the tyranny of men, the Bible says, and it was commanded them. You'll find out who they are in a moment. That they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. How could you not hurt someone unless you see something that says, if you see the mark, 
don't hurt them. I'm going to leave the cliff. Is that mark literal or is it symbolic? Is the seal of God literal or is it symbolic? Is the mark in the forehead and the seal of God in the forehead literal or symbolic? I'm going to leave it there. You got to wait till next week for the rest of the answer. Brethren, here's the issue. It is all about making your decision today to trust Jesus and his word. I'm going to ask you a question as I close today. Are you thankful that Jesus is your friend? Do you know revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ? Now, let me wrap it up this way. If you are a son or daughter of Jesus Christ, one, and you trust his word over speculation, this subject should not awaken fear in you at all. But if you spend your time meandering in the maze of mediocrity, pondering at the pool of popularity, negotiating at the table of the enemy, then you ought to be concerned. Today, I want to ask you to make a decision. It's not about masks or vaccines or an assembly line of, at a tattoo parlor somewhere. It is about having the word of God sealed in your heart and in your life. And today, if you are committed and you want to remain committed to what God's word has said, would you stand with me today? Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for being my friend. Saying you shall no longer call me master, but friend. You're watching out for your children. You're looking out for your friends. We're in a diabolical environment. And Satan is angry. He has been attempting to steal what belongs to you alone. Not just worship, but he wants to destroy your children. He wants to destroy your church. He wants to destroy your family. Father, thank you. I praise you and thank you that you are willing to watch out for me, for us, to give us light in this dark world, to give us certainty in an atmosphere and a vortex of speculation. And may we turn off the mouths of misguided men and open the reliable word of God. We know it's coming. We know that there will be aversions and distractions and satanic duplicates, satanic diversions, things to make us think that's it, that's it, that's it. But may the issue be settled when we decide I am going to worship you and you alone. So lead us, Father, not in a relationship of fear, but in a relationship of undiluted allegiance to you alone and to your word so that others who are in the dark can see this marvelous light and come out of Babylon before it is too late. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. And all of God's people said, Amen.